CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Breakdown, an everyday analysis breaking down the most important stories in Bitcoin, crypto, and beyond. This episode is sponsored by ErisX.com, the Stellar Development Foundation, and Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund. The Breakdown is produced and distributed by Coindesk. Here's your host, NLW. Welcome back to The Breakdown. It is Tuesday, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, and I'm sure by now you've already seen the memes going around that say something to the effect of, Imagine a world where Cinco de Mayo falls on Taco Tuesday only to be ruined by a virus named after a Mexican beer. But that's the state of where we are. It is Tuesday, the 5th of May. And today I wanted to do something a little bit different. For those of you who don't know or who aren't familiar with my background, I spent about a decade in San Francisco doing tech before moving back to the East Coast where I live now in the Hudson Valley and focusing entirely on crypto and content marketing and this podcast. And the thing that got me into tech was actually working with a company called Change.org, because when I was in college and then for the first couple years after, my focus was entirely on social impact and in particular, the relationships between people from different places, how you build networks of action that could include both people on the ground actually experiencing problems as well as international networks of support. What was the right way to actually create change and make a difference? I think that on the one hand, I am loath to say that everyone just needs to take care of themselves and that everything should be left to communities. But it's also, uh, by the same token, very clear to me that the role that international communities have in local communities has to be led ground up from those communities. We can't impose solutions or it's just a different form of kind of interventionism that we've had in much more pernicious ways for years. This was my focus. This was where my life, my career began. And I've never lost interest in that. In fact, for those of you who have heard me on other podcasts like Peter McCormick or Pomp, it was actually coming around and seeing Bitcoin in the light and in the context of ground up social change versus just a technology that really pulled me all the way in. One of the things that I keep a pretty close eye on is these projects that are focused on something like banking the unbanked or whatever the way that it's phrased is projects that are specifically designed to use cryptocurrency to solve issues relating to poverty and financial inclusion around the world. The greatest example of this narrative so far was Libra. When Libra launched, it was very much focused on this narrative of banking the unbanked. The whole first video clip that they launched with was all about that. When David Marcus went and testified before Congress, it was all about that. And frankly, people did not buy it. Congress didn't buy it, Senate didn't buy it, and by and large, the public didn't buy it. 
it seemed to me, or to a lot of people rather, that it was a front, right? A narrative front. Even if they cared about that issue, that it was so clearly secondary to them just kind of getting off this project. My guest today is Marek Olszewski, one of the co-founders of the Cello Project. Cello is basically Libra if they actually designed a financial inclusion crypto protocol from the ground up. I was just reading actually a note about the project from Olaf at Polychain Capital who invested in Cello. One of the things that he made note of was that what got him excited about it was that it was so clearly designed for that audience, including, and this I think is really important, as he put it, an agent network of on-the-ground exchangers who look sort of like the local Bitcoins network. The point being for him that Cello was actually trying to go after this use case of financial inclusion in a sincere way and bringing what cryptocurrencies could offer to that world, namely decentralization and permissionlessness versus centralization and control in the case of existing systems like M-Pesa. So this conversation is a lot about how Celo came to be, what it does differently from those centralized systems, and a new announcement about additional members joining what they call the Alliance for Prosperity. I think it's a really interesting project, and it's a very sincere attempt at this financial inclusion question. So on this Cinco de Mayo, an international celebration where we're all stuck in our homes and on the verge of potentially the most inward-focused national versus global moment in our history, enjoy this episode about the prospects of one protocol as it relates to a global issue of financial inclusion. As always with interviews, this is very lightly edited to keep the conversation as close to its original form as possible. All right, we are here with Merrick from Cello. Hey, Merrick, how are you doing? Hey, Nathaniel, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, thanks so much for joining on. So uh, a bunch of stuff to get into today, exciting announcement from you guys, um, but I want to take it back a step first. And uh, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with Cello, could you just describe uh, what you're doing and how it came about? Yeah, absolutely. So Cello is a financial platform that makes uh, financial tools accessible for anybody with a mobile phone. And we started uh, about three years ago when uh, Sep, Rennie, and I the kind of three co-founders for C-Labs, who had previously all met at MIT around 10 years ago, we started looking at, at something that we could do that was big and impactful uh, and very kind of mission-driven. We ended up looking at uh, the problem of financial inclusion. As many um, of your listeners, I'm sure, are aware, there are 1.7 billion people who are unbanked globally, 1.1 billion people who don't have access to government-recognized IDs, and when we looked at this problem, we couldn't think of anything else that was more compelling, um, more impactful to work on. And at the time, uh, crypto continued to advance. Um, proof of stake was around the corner. And I think people were getting comfortable with the idea of it finally being able to be useful as a, as a medium of exchange. Uh, and then likewise, mobile phone adoption continued to grow. Uh, I think we had, we just right now passed uh, the kind of 6 billion uh, smartphone mark uh, in terms of number of smartphones that have active uh, mobile subscriptions. Um, you know, that number continues to grow. And so two years ago, we, we saw this future where anybody with a mobile smartphone would be able to transact using crypto assets irrespective of whether or not um, they have a bank account or not. And so we wanted to build for that future. And so that was really the the starting point of Cello. 
I, I don't want to go too, too deep into the kind of technical design of the system, but I think it is relevant for people who are trying to kind of uh, grok how you're approaching this financial inclusion challenge to talk through just the, the system, the, the design of the, the Cello system or the ecosystem as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah. So Cello was really designed through and through for this kind of mobile use case. We wanted to recreate um, Venmo or PayPal, but in a fully permissionless manner. Um, and so if you think about it, what are the things that you'd have to kind of create in order to, to make something like that work? Uh, I think number one, it has to be mobile friendly. Uh, we worked extremely hard to create a like client protocol that can sync with uh, our proof of stake BFT based consensus protocol really, really, really efficiently. Um, we, we actually use um, BLS signature aggregation to aggregate uh, all of the different uh, signatures that all of the validators are providing um, into a single multi-sig. Um, we use this concept of epoch-based syncing, which means that our validator set can only change roughly once per day. Um, these two things together give us um, a 17,000 times reduction in the amount of data that you have to download relative to something like Ethereum. But then we wanted to go even beyond that. And so we implemented um, SNARK-based cryptographic proofs that prove that a header is part of the chain, allowing you to really sync with the chain in a fully peer-to-peer -peer manner with just a few 400-byte uh, um, SNARK proofs. So that was the first thing. Um, the second thing um, was around stability. If you think about um, using a cryptocurrency as a as a medium of exchange, it needs to be stable. Uh, and while there's been a lot of advances on that front over the past couple of years, uh, stable coins today are still not that usable. And I think this is primarily because meta transactions didn't work out, I think, the way people had hoped. Uh, and so it's just difficult to, to send them. And so on the seller platform, um, you can actually pay for transaction fees in tokens. Um, and so when you want to send some cello stable value, uh, for example, the cello dollar, you can actually pay for that transaction fee in cello dollars. And that makes it just much more intuitive and much easier to, to send stable value assets around. And then finally, we, we saw that people were just really intimidated by public key based uh, addresses. Um, they, they were long to people. They, they look funny. Um, and people were always nervous about uh, copy-paste mistakes. And so we, we worked really hard to allow people to send value to phone numbers instead of these public key-based addresses. And we do that by creating a, an effectively a PKI or kind of a map that maps hashes of phone numbers to wallet addresses. And this allows people to find each other really easily by, by phone number uh, they can find each other's wallet addresses really easily using this mapping. And then critically, in order to make sure this mapping is correct, we have a, a phone verification protocol, a decentralized phone verification protocol, where when you sign up, you uh, get uh, paired with a number of randomly selected uh, participants on the protocol who then send you cryptographically signed text messages. You resubmit these back to the protocol kind of uh, proving that you have access to that phone number with high probability uh, and allowing you to then add this entry into this PKI. And one thing that's really, I would say, neat about this design 
is that it allows you to send the payment to someone even before the recipient has signed up. And so if you want to send value to maybe a family member uh, and they don't have a public key, public private key pair yet, um, that's not a problem. You can, on the Cello platform, um, you can really easily send that payment. In fact, the Cello wallet doesn't really even differentiate between whether or not the recipient is on Cello or not, other than you pay a slightly higher uh, fee uh, when sending the, the transaction. Okay, so one of the things that I am, uh, I appreciate about you guys is that the, it's very clear that the design is from the ground up thinking about this particular use case, right? This particular customer set. Um, and in fact, you know, you actually have a, a blog post, I think, about your theory of change, which is a, a type of language that's pretty foreign to, um, I mean, most people in crypto, most people in economics in general, right? It's a social impact language. But I guess to, to peel this back even farther, getting aside kind of the technical design aspects for, um, for, for, for this uh, for this protocol, what was your what was the theory of change? What was the theory or the belief set around why existing mobile money solutions didn't solve the challenge for the unbanked? Right, so so not cryptocurrency based solutions, but the existing mobile money solutions that exist all over the world. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think there's probably a number of reasons why um, you know there's large um, populations. That, that do not have access to kind of the financial tools and services that you and I take for granted. Um, you know, I think um, at the end of the day, um, the, one of the advantages of building, building something that's crypto-based, uh, as I'm sure many of your listeners are aware, is that um, you actually get to uh, involve your users with actually operating the network and you actually can build kind of a, a community, almost a movement together. And I think it's just very hard for any centralized service uh, to accomplish that, especially if, um, if they're targeting a, kind of a small market with, um, with maybe um, not a lot of kind of typical target customers that they would otherwise look for. Um, and so I think one of the advantages of, of being kind of crypto, crypto based is that we can be much more inclusive right from the get go. We, we can even reward people for running the network. One of the things that we're working really hard for, uh, one of the things we're working really hard on right now is the ability for anyone to send those text messages um, that sign up new users. Right now, it's only validators who are elected through the proof-of-stake system that can send those text messages. Longer term, we want anybody with an Android phone to, uh, to send those text messages. Uh, it turns out that on Android, you can send text messages programmatically. And, um, and this means that um, you can install an app that connects to the network. And just as new users are signing up, uh, if you get randomly selected, you can send that text message and in so doing actually get rewarded for, uh, for sending that text message. Um, and so I think a lot of people are really excited about how Bitcoin allowed anyone in the world um, to, to earn crypto assets just by um, initially just by running some software on their CPU. Uh, we're really excited about the vision where anybody in the world can earn crypto assets just by running something on their mobile phone. 
in some ways what you're talking about and and you hinted at this but maybe we can go further is that there are there are centralization risks for a system like mpesa right and part of what's the the point of having a a, a cryptocurrency network is that you avoid that right or you try to avoid much of that you you minimize the that that as much as possible um, I'd love to hear if the, if you guys had any more thoughts about that of the risks of kind of these centralized services in the context of uh, mobile money or just what not even just risks but what costs we've seen associated with them but then there was another thing that you mentioned as a, as a differentiator of Salo, which was permissionlessness um, and the idea that it was a, a permissionless system. I'd love to hear also why does permissionless matter in the context of this financial inclusion use case? Yeah, I think it's I think it's very important. Um, I think if you want people to um, work together to improve it, to um, help help it reach. And the masses, you need you need a, a really big um, number of, of companies that are working together and are and are making this happen. Um, and uh, one of the advantages of uh, of blockchain based um, systems is that you can encode kind of the rules of the game into uh, into the system um and uh incentivize a large group of people who would otherwise not necessarily work together uh to to work together knowing that there's no uh, risk that that they may uh over time somehow be excluded um and so that's that's one of the appeals of the cello system for people who are joining the cello alliance for prosperity there are uh, 50 companies uh, in the alliance um, as of, I guess, recently. And then as of today, uh, 20 new companies, we just announced that 20 new companies have joined. Um, and so it's exciting to have an alliance that's actually growing, not shrinking. And I think it's that inclusive, uh, permissionless aspect of it that, that is really um, appealing for, for many of these folks. Uh, that and our mission. I think our mission is... Uh, one that, that really resonates with a lot of different companies, um, and and there really is an opportunity to do something big and meaningful here. Support for this podcast and this message come from Eris X. With Eris X, you can trade spot and regulated futures on cryptocurrencies through a licensed U.S.-based exchange. Eris X believes in fair access for all. Sign up today to take advantage of zero fees and learn more at erisx.com slash consensus. This episode is also sponsored by the Stellar Foundation. The Stellar Network connects your business to the global financial infrastructure. Whether you're looking to power a payment application or issue digital assets like stablecoins or digital dollars, Stellar is easy to learn and fast to implement. Start your journey today at stellar.org slash coindesk. Our final sponsor is Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund. In times like these, diversification is key. Consider Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund, ticker symbol GDLC. It's the only publicly traded investment product that offers diversified exposure to large cap digital currencies, all from your brokerage account. For more information, visit grayscale.co slash coindesk. That's G-R-A-Y scale C-O slash coindesk. I think that the the alliance is really interesting, and and I want to hear more about the uh, the the new participants who have joined. Um, but one of the things that I think is really interesting is that uh, one of your 
one of your investors, Olaf from Polychain, wrote about what made you guys different and why he was excited about you. And one of the three aspects was uh, this idea that you were from the beginning thinking about go to market, right? That you had, as he put it, an agent network of on the ground exchangers who look sort of like the local Bitcoins network. And I think this is so important. And I'd love to hear more about what the status of this actual network looks like around the world right now, because the great challenge of trying to replace a centralized system, you know, like a Venmo or an M-Pesa or whatever it is, with a decentralized permissionless model, a network-based model, is that you have to get people comfortable accepting a different type of currency. And that usually also involves building off-ramps so that there's as little friction as possible for them to accept that and then get it into whatever currency they need to pay their bills to pay their debts in. So I'd love to hear more about first kind of just the way that you've thought about go-to-market and building this ground-up network. And then uh, second, how the Alliance for Prosperity plays into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I should add that I'm more on the engineering front. And so um, I think um, this is actually a really, really great topic for for my co-founder, Rene, uh, our CEO. But um, the Alliance really plays a a massive um, kind of role in this. I think um, many of our Alliance members um, are established companies that that have existing customer bases, and they're really excited about the potential of uh, seller technology and what it can do to, to their customer base. Uh, and so they're working um, to, to integrate with Celo and, um, and bring it to those customers. I think one example of this is um, the, you know, both Coinbase and Anchorage uh, were early Alliance members. We announced them in the first wave. Uh, and uh, and just recently, they both announced that they're um, supporting Cello for custody. Um, likewise, um, Project Ren, which is a uh, carbon um, offsetting company, um, they were one of the earlier Alliance members as well. And, and they, uh, as of uh, this past week, are now receiving uh, Cello currency on the on the Cello mainnet release candidate. Uh, to carbon offset the running of the network. And so uh, we've seen a number of these companies already, even though the alliance is only uh, a month and a bit old, um, start um, actually um, working with the seller community, either building on top or integrating with it uh, to, uh, to advance its mission. Um, longer term, I think you'll see a lot more uh, of the Alliance members that exist in our target markets, um, launching uh, and announcing support. Um, just the other day, um, there was a company that announced an integration with M-Pesa where you can convert seller currencies to M-Pesa in Kenya. And we're seeing a lot of different uh, initiatives like this um, throughout a number of our target markets. I like the way, though, that you guys kind of organize this alliance into a variety of different categories, right? This helped uh, me understand better how you think about this network, right? So you have uh, companies that help you accept, help you acquire, help you build, help you earn, help you educate, help you give, help you grow, help you lend, preserve, send, save, secure. So those are the categories that are just on um, the website. And and I think that that reflects an an ecosystem level understanding of this. Um, So today, 
today, I, I know that there was an announcement. There's is it 20 new members that are joining the 50 that initially uh, launched in uh, last month, I guess. Yes, exactly. So we've almost grown by 50 percent in, in the past month. Merrick, can you speak to how you guys think about who you want to join? Like when you go out and try to recruit what you're looking for? Absolutely. And I think you um, you hit the nail on the head when you uh, mentioned the different use cases. You know, we're, we've um, broken down the alliance to a number of different use cases between kind of earn and give and, and spend. Uh, and so we're really looking for uh, alliance members who, who really uh, kind of fit each of these different categories and can help um, the the solo ecosystem um, kind of reach reach the the target kind of audience. Um, and so early on, you know, I think we're uh, a lot of the the first um, alliance members um, are are focused on getting the network kind of up and running. Um, again, I mentioned kind of Anchorage and Coinbase uh, with their announcements. So they're helping uh, folks um, have uh, great custody solutions. Uh, likewise, we're um, also helping developers um, kind of build on the platform um, both CelloCamp and uh, the uh, blockchain uh, social impact coalition um, have run or are currently running incubators that are on the Cello platform, allowing people to to build on the Cello platform. And then um, um, we've and then on the Give use case, where we're partnering with folks like Give Directly, uh, who are really excited about uh, using the Cello platform for uh, enabling more efficient cash transfers. Um, likewise, on the Send use case, there's a number of um, companies that are very excited about bringing uh, rem- remittance support to the platform. Um, Abra and a few telcos come to mind. Uh, Cello is a very great platform for sending remittances because if you want to um, allow your customers to send value to anyone in the world, uh, that phone verification protocol that I mentioned before allows you to uh, allows these companies to uh, to build that support without having to then go and partner with every different telco in def- every different region uh, globally. And so um, these companies have found Zello to be really, really compelling. Let's shift for just a minute to uh, kind of like larger narrative context. So last year, Libra launches, and it's using a lot of the same language, although in a in a highly theoretical kind of place. And some people kind of looked at it as uh, maybe a more cynical approach to banking the unbanked. For you guys, was that uh, was that frustrating? Was it just validation of this larger mission? Um, I, I guess I'm just interested in kind of you know you've clearly spent a lot of time doing the hard work in these places of building up this network to actually kind of uh, pursue this this particular market and try to serve this particular customer base. How did that uh, change, if anything, how you had to operate or the context that you were operating in? Yeah, I think from a validation perspective, I think it was definitely very big. I think um, it became very clear to a lot of people uh, that the um, that the impact of something like this um, would be big, um, and it just became a lot easier to, to talk about um, what we were trying to accomplish. 
Um, obviously, I think Libra has a very different approach. I think the permission part of it uh, makes it a lot harder for them, uh, I would say, to, to actually have that same impact and to actually really um, um, follow through with that mission. I think the initial approach of also having a uh, stable value asset that was not pegged to local currencies, but instead um, would uh, would be um, valued at kind of the price of this kind of commodity basket that they were holding on behalf of kind of Libra uh, owners um, meant that I think in in many kind of local markets it, it probably um, wouldn't have been a good option uh, as a for a medium of exchange. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons why what, what we had been building was um, more compelling to uh, to our alliance members and, and to and to others. How has uh, the run up in stable coins this year impacted you guys at all? Again, maybe it's just more awareness more broadly, but you know the the, the total circulating supply of stable coins has exploded this year. Um, you know, in large part, it seems due to demand for U.S. dollars around the world. Um, but there's also a larger ongoing conversation about the emergence of central bank digital currencies, with China currently starting to pilot something, and even the conversation in the U.S. heating up. How do those larger kind of uh, stable coin or CBDC discussions impact you guys? Yeah, really great question. And um, I actually wrote an op-ed about this on Coindesk um, last month um, that that you might find interesting or that your audience might find interesting. Um, I think you, you're absolutely right. There's been a, a massive run-up uh, in stable coins this year. I think we, we started at around $5 billion uh, total supply at the beginning of the year. I think we're well over eight at this point. Um, and um, and it's interesting if you if you look at what these stable coins are used uh, for. It does still seem like they're used as a safe haven asset, as a um, as a currency to arbitrage between centralized exchanges. The the overall DeFi space is still only around $800 million uh, in size. And so it's significantly smaller than than what these stable coins, um, than the supply of these stable coins. Um, and the other thing you'll notice is that most of these stable coins are fiat backed. So there's um, over 8 billion um, stable coins today, but um, only 100 million of that is in DAI. Uh, which is just uh, a very, very small percentage. Um, and that's that's a real shame. Um, I think there's a lot of people working really hard to make um, decentralized, programmable stablecoins a reality. Um, and uh, it's a shame that they're not able to kind of compete against these, these fiat-backed stablecoins just yet. Uh, and luckily... Um, we think that that's uh, hopefully about to change. One of the reasons why I think both uh, SUSD and DAI uh, haven't been able to get to the, the kind of supply numbers of these fiat-backed stablecoins uh, is because their designs inherently don't tie the supply um, of the stable value asset to the demand. Instead, they, they tie it to the demand for either lending against something like ETH uh, or maybe staking 
uh, SNX and um, earning some rewards from that. And so uh, luckily, there's been a whole, uh, whole bunch of research on how to create uh, programmable stablecoins that, that expand and, and contract the supply of your, um, of your, of your asset to meet demand. Uh, Senior Ridge Shares is, is a fairly well-known design that uh, Basis um, looked to implement uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and so Celo actually uses a hybrid of this approach and what Maker is doing today, uh, which is uh, gives you the best of both worlds. On one hand, it's crypto uh, asset over collateralized, but on the other hand, the supply is tied to the demand. And so if there's strong demand for these stable value assets, then you can uh, then the protocol will automatically uh, expand the supply to, to meet that demand. So where is the project right now? Uh, how far along are you guys in terms of actually bringing this out into the world? Yeah, great question. So two weeks ago, uh, a um, quorum of community validators launched the release candidate for the mainnet. Um, it's a proof-of-stake PBFT-based consensus protocol, and so... They, they all kind of agreed at a certain time to uh, start uh, effectively kind of mining blocks uh, and, uh, and the, the PBFT consensus um, had to kind of agree on its, on its first uh, round and, and started, started to, to run. Yeah, so that was really exciting to watch. Uh, since then, um, there's been a few upgrades um, on the platform using on-chain governance. Um, so I mentioned that Project REN uh, is receiving rewards to offset uh, the carbon required to run the network. So there was a proposal that, that enabled that. Um, and then also the full proof-of-stake consensus mechanism was enabled as well last week. Um, and so the network continues to run. It continues to be healthy. Uh, if everything continues to look good over the course of the next few weeks, then again, through on-chain governance, the community will vote to, to upgrade that network uh, into what will be deemed mainnet. Uh, and so mainnet is really around the corner, uh, which is really exciting. Uh, it means that um, hopefully um, we'll, we'll be able to get... Um, and the seller wallet uh, with the stable value assets in the hands of, of many, many people soon. Well, like I said, I think this is a it's a it's a fascinating area. You know, my my background before getting into crypto and even before getting really deeply into technology was in a lot of the sort of social impact stuff that you know you guys are working on now. So you know, I'm excited for how you guys continue to build um, and to see how this uh, how this works out in the world. For people who want to learn more, where can they find you? Yeah, so cello.org is the primary website. Uh, if you want to um, sign up for a newsletter, I would go to news.cello.org. If you want to go to our uh, Discord channel and, and just chat with people, I would go to chat.cello.org. Um, and if you want to follow uh, along with uh, events, um, Cello's doing around four, or C-Labs, I should say, is hosting around four events, virtual events a week, uh, I would check out events.cello.org. Awesome. Well, Merrick, thank you so much for hanging out today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So that is a taste of the Cello protocol, the Cello project. I think what makes it interesting for me is, as I mentioned at the beginning, 
the attempt to clearly integrate this network building exercise in the context of their alliance for prosperity, in the context of their go-to-market strategy from the ground up. Because I do think that the greatest challenge for a cryptocurrency, a decentralized solution to answer the problem of financial inclusion, is the adoption of a new currency, making it easy to use rather than just something that is this extra laborious burden, right? I don't think that we can overestimate the friction that would allow for a centralized solution, uh, centralized mobile money, to be a better option for most people as they live their lives. I think that there are clearly, if you could have that wide-scale adoption of a cryptocurrency, big improvements from fees to control to permission to access the network that cryptocurrencies would bring. But again, the adoption question is the key. So it's exciting to see a project making a sincere run at building the network that you need to go along with it. Anyways, guys, that's going to do it for me. I hope that wherever you are, you are having a good sunny Cinco de Mayo, and I will be back tomorrow with another episode of The Breakdown. Till then, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.